Cheek. Well, I'm sorry I'm late. That's all I can say. You deserve better. You truly do. It's all on me. Honestly, I have known what I've wanted to talk about. I was just kind of waiting to wake up with the energy that I feel is required to give you 30 or 40 minutes of solid solo commentary on culture, New York, everything we usually do. However, today is not even that day. Happy President's Day. Whatever the fuck that is. Today, I did not wake up feeling um, awake and alive for it, but I, was, I could not wait a second longer. I don't know what it is, and I've been talking to a few people about this. I think last weekend was um, just very intense and active, and what follows is the burnout. Although there's still a lot of activity this weekend. Point being, I thought I was going to have a weekend of rest. I was going to feel restored, alive, ready to deliver in the way that I want to. Um, Not the case. And I didn't even really do anything crazy. It was just more... um, I don't know. I didn't sleep well. I guess that's the bottom line. I didn't sleep well. I feel cranky. I feel like childishly cranky. If I had to describe my state. It's pretty nice out. Everyone's out and about. I would, honestly, I wish I was feeling awake and alive and I could be out in the streets, out in the world. I went to get a coffee, walked around the park, came right back. Skateboarders are out, everyone. Which also, it's 52 degrees. Could have used that yesterday for the fucking parade. Every year, the Lunar New Year parade, uh, truly, um, though I love the vibe, I love the confetti. I never know what it's going to be. And it usually was just, you know, well, I guess it didn't even happen last year. I guess I'm remembering the past like years when I guess I didn't live over here yet. And I'd have to get here for whatever reason. And it would, I remember when you're at a bang trim that day and it's just, you know, it kind of, everything's close, whatever. Parades are generally inconvenient. So I was like this year, I'm going to participate I'm going to watch part of it. I'm going to be there. And I did. And it was fabulous. But it was fucking cold. Most of the time I was inside, to be fair. I was having dip on. But it was fucking cold yesterday. Today, stunning for my hangover. Oh, my God. This guy's doing some crazy tricks. I wish I wasn't impressed by bike tricks and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to laugh and lose your face. But it's impressive. Anyway... Point being, does it feel right to do this on a Monday? Not really. And now the schedule's all, all fucked up, but we'll, we'll work it out and we'll come back. Honestly, this week, I do kind of want to talk about articles that I've read. It just seemed to be a big week for articles. And not even just me reading them, people coming to me to talk about articles, which I feel like doesn't always happen. First, I do want to thank you for all of the messages about Jackass. Great to know I'm not alone in this community. Um, It is a beloved franchise. And friend of the pod, beloved listener Larry Owens, had a great quote that I'm going to find in my text right now. Oh, we're going to have to scroll way back. But it's, Jackass is hot. 
It is a sexy... Okay, here we go. Jackass is the hottest white men in Hollywood could ever want to dream up. They can't write this. And even if they did, it would not be hot. It would be their interpretation of it, which would therefore miss the mark in a way that would be a catastrophic failure. Their sex appeal is beyond all of them. They've aged impeccably and have lost so many brain cells. Yes, that's part of the hotness. Seeing Johnny absolutely wrecked by Bull, knowing that his life's going to be fucked up for a month for our enjoyment, hot. It's just sexy. I love it. I'm so happy. I, speaking of Larry, we had a late night dinner. I actually did a fabulous stand-up show. I won't say it was fabulous in the audience. They were, um, sorry, not, they were lame. But I had a really good time. Um, it was a wine, you prepay, which like anyone, thank God that people want to pay for comedy, don't understand it, never will. They paid a sizable ticket amount to get four glasses of wine, like a tasting, two pieces of cheese, and a comedy show. God bless. God fucking bless. Um, but I had a really good time, got drunk because I thought we were going to have food. We had two pieces of cheese. So I'm on the west side. Had to meet Larry at where? The Odeon, a classic. We were guzzling cocktails. I get near blackout. Honestly, near blackout. And then proceed to torture uh, my boy. Don't remember much of this, but I, we were watching TV. I would pretend to be asleep or like chill for a second and like come at him or slap him in the balls or whatever. Um, jackass time. It, which is not, it's not a stunt. It's just me slapping in the balls. Point is, I'm still affected. I do want to talk about the current financial state in New York. I don't think I'm alone right now in um, being a little strapped. It seems like most of my friends are in this position. Not all. And it relates to the first article I want to talk about. God forbid I do one episode that doesn't involve Sex and the City. God forbid. Sorry. That's how it goes. Gia Tolentino Tolentino I'm almost positive I'm saying it correctly I just want to say Tortellini every time It's her Instagram handle It's not my fault She interviews Candace Bushnell Who I generally have like Wrongfully not been interested in Um, I think people do forget Like where the franchise came from and in all of my discussions of in just like that I completely failed in mentioning Candace Bushnell and all of it after reading this article I do think that her involvement would have made all of the difference in in just like that obviously like her characters I'm really not familiar with her fictional work and really haven't read many of her old observer columns but Carrie Bradshaw was her pseudonym, fake name. Everything that she wrote about her own life was Carrie Bradshaw. The character was her, and she was, you know, consulting on the show. Early Sex in the City, Carrie is her. At some point, she stopped working with the show, and she does say the character absolutely diverted from her as a person. She says, conveniently, it was when Carrie 
you know, had the affair with Big. She's, you know, claimed she would never do that. Fine. Sure. Um, convenient. But I think what they wanted to make was maybe her life now. I think that taking note of where Candace Bush now is would have made all the difference. She was doing a solo show that I did have free tickets to um, right before the most recent Omicron nightmare, which was, I think I didn't, I don't know if I didn't go or the show was canceled because she got COVID. Regardless, I didn't go because of COVID. And that is a huge regret because I would have loved to see that show. And not that I think it's like, you know, the most groundbreaking thing, but like she's divorced. She left New York for a bit. She came back. And I think she is living probably more closely to like the Luann Sonia type of life, which we all, I think, could agree is far more interesting than the Unjust Like That characters. But I bring up that in relation to finances. Oh my God, I'm going inside. Because much of the article actually dealt with just that. It's no secret that Sex and the City, the franchise, the the culture around it, deals with luxury, being out, spending money. Carrie's living outside of her means for the majority of the series. And I think that's the way the way much of the fan base is living in New York right now. It's, you know, asking your friend to give you her engagement ring from her failed marriage to buy your apartment. Perfect storyline. And what I do like in the article is it's pointed out that the show and the concept is actually more about ambition than anything else. It's the pursuit of, it's positioned to be the pursuit of love and relationships. And, um, you know, she talks about this kind of like attitude that's not present in, in just like that, where it's like, we're in our thirties, we're single, fuck you. Like we've already been through it all. And it's like this hardness and grittiness that I think positions them to pursue their ambitions the way that they do. And New York is a perfect place for that. Everybody wants something she says. So they get into like wealth and income equality pretty quickly in various ways. And she says that like her views on that has shifted like consumption in general, like with how she, you know, wealth is unregulated. (laughs) She attributes it to TikTok stars and Bitcoin. So obviously, you know, we're not super uh, grounded in that way, but you know, she doesn't get into rent. She doesn't get into the cost of living here necessarily a little bit. She does. She talks about how she's going to, you know, her friend's houses for dinner instead of restaurants because they're too expensive. But I think it's interesting that, and just like that completely skated over any type of change in New York money culture. They're just happily participating And there's no conflict there whatsoever. And obviously this like kind of hits me more personally because I'm at a place where my circles are trying to live well. Like we're not in our early 20s fine with four roommates and whatever. Like, no, we want our own apartments. We want to live where we want to live in the part of the city that we choose. 
we want closets and shit. You know what I mean? It's like we're at that time. And, you know, she talks about how she was living that way before she got the column, which was at 34. It's fascinating that she says, I would get an assignment, 3,000 words, $2 per word. An incredible rate, which Gia agrees with. And I don't know. It's just interesting to see her view. Like, would she write the same way now? Would it be, is it possible to, like, sell that lifestyle now and not talk about it? There's a lot of crazy stuff in here. She talks about, you know, she wrote a character based on Harvey Weinstein and kind of is, you know, saying, I knew, I suspected, I didn't know the extent of it, but he called me and said, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, okay, you obviously had some kind of relationship with the guy if he's calling you. She really questions a lot of the choices that were made for him just like that. She, she does um, say she doesn't like analyzing shows. She doesn't like the recaps of Injust Like That. Fine. But I don't know. The attitude, she says, is gone. And it's just interesting. It's interesting to see her view on that and, and where she is and how she wants a regulation of money, a non corrupt system for making money which I think is somewhat impossible because we're being like, we're participating in corrupt systems. The real estate market is corrupt. The way that as I look across the street at this fucking massive hotel that's supposed to open in April, that's being, you know, has been being built forever. Like the way neighborhoods are changing with, it's not even like necessarily gentrification anymore. It's just like absolutely maximizing any space to make the most amount of money possible in the city. That's unregulated. That's corrupt. So how do we function within that and try to make money in a non-corrupt way? I'm open to corruption as well. I will make money in a corrupt way. I just don't have that option right now. It's, I don't know. It's, I'm in a weird, weird financial place where I'm trying to be realistic. Where is my money actually going? Whatever. And she's not like, obviously the person to look at. I don't know who the person is to look at. But the way that she was writing about luxury and pursuit of luxury is very different than I think New York is experiencing now. And I think partially it's like, it's trying to make up for these years of, you know, decimation of COVID. I think fine. Restaurants need to charge more, pick it back up, whatever. Like businesses suffered. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there was kind of this fake, you know, I knew myself included the unemployment time was uh, cozier. That's for sure. We were doing less. The speed of life was decelerated for quite some time. And I think now it is picking back up almost to full speed. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. I do love the end of the article where um, <laughs> she references fentanyl and cocaine. Um and uh, Botox. It's a, Gia essentially asks, 
at what age should a respectable New York woman say yes to Botox and never again to cocaine? And that's when she says, oh, I'm surprised people are doing cocaine with all the fentanyl. Fair. But you know what? People still do it, and God bless them. Thank you, Candace. And what about Botox? <laughs> I think when I was 36 or 37, I was writing for Vogue and Anna Wintour kept sending me to do all these guinea pig stories. Get collagen in your lips and write about it. So I got collagen in my lips and I wrote about it. I got Botox probably when I was 36. And I have to say, it works. It's one of the few things that really works. She will deliver. She will deliver. And I would have loved to have seen that show. I think that would have been very, very cool. And I think that connects to the next article that actually more people, I read it and I was kind of like, mm, yeah, and I didn't think it really hit all the notes, but people have been asking me about it a lot. And that is the vibe shift article on the cut. The Candace one was New York Mag. And this is the cut. So what struck me first is the image that they chose, which is Meg Yates. I don't follow her on Instagram, but I've seen her around. I know she is. Meg Superstar Princess is what she, I think, is her handle. Whatever. I don't know. The point is, I don't think they really went to the children with this article. And, like, who is determining the vibe shifts besides, as my friend David so aptly pointed out, uh, astrology, if you, you know, if you're believing and, uh, and into that, obviously that is a factor. But we see... This girl, early 20s, with very messy eyeliner, you know, kind of what's now being called indie sleaze, leathers, furs, flap room hat, and in seeing that crowd right now, indie sleaze is definitely a term I would put to it. However... Last week I was at Paul's Casablanca and to my somewhat dismay, the amount of Julia Fox clones that I was seeing, severely disturbing. And I'm literally saying like low rise leather pants, black bandeau leather trench. Am I veering away from leather right now? No, it it does seem to be a bit of the vibe, but I'm saying like haircut, makeup, like everything. So that's not new. People copy, people do it. But I think, first of all, that these vibe shifts, you know, they kind of break it down into four-year eras. It's going to be way too fast to even categorize them in years, I think. It's going to be matters of months, even weeks. I think Julia Fox is far less relevant this week than she was last week or two weeks ago, obviously. And now everyone's just making fun of the way she says uncut gems, which I I find to be absolutely uninteresting, completely uninteresting. I can't believe that that's where people's minds are going when she fully discussed having used heroin for years and coming out of it. How is (laughs) the quote of her saying her talking about being amused is the most interesting part of that interview? Ridiculous. Grow up get smarter, find something new to talk about. Ridiculous. I'm not even like, quote unquote, like on her side. I'm just like, that's boring. Anyway, I think that's a bit of a vibe shift. I like, I just, I observed maybe more than I would usually when I was out. 
as we entered, we ran into Euphoria Star. I would say the Cousin Greg of Euphoria. Cousin Greg's always, you know, out downtown. I have heard of multiple people meeting. Who? Angus Cloud. He was smoking. We chatted with him, honestly, for probably like 20 minutes. Lovely. And not in an aggressive way. It was very natural. I'm not a person who's going to go up and start a conversation. It was very natural as we were just all smoking. And could not have been more of a sweetheart in any way. Could not have been at a worse place to be trying to, like, not be in the public. To have people coming at you. Like, literally, Paul's with every, you know, early 20s child's oh my God, you know what I mean? Which he handled very well. But to be publicly standing outside of Paul's baby grant on a Thursday night, the the children were flocking. But ultimately, like I said, just the sweetest, sweetest man in the world. I think that if you're talking about vibe shifts and the crystallizing was what kind of stuck out to me in this article, which obviously, you know, people have seen you go to Greenpoint. It's mostly at this point, old punks, old Polish people and parents. And the, you know, moving to Hudson to start your tattoo parlor or whatever. Like we, I think that is the most obvious crystallization because that time period was so physically evident being tattoos, piercings, the beards, the guys, you know what I mean? I guess myself, I'm like, I would love to see myself never crystallize at all. And the, the concept of wokeness, I don't think that you can put that into, of course it was more prevalent when Trump was president. Obviously that was when it was very necessary for everyone to be quote unquote woke. And you know, with everything happened summer, 2020, I do agree that was the moment. And there is kind of this now, like, almost anti-woke, you know, red scare, blah, blah, blah. Fine. You can say woke is now out of style or whatever. But I do also think that there's some element of, like, well, yeah, obviously this is the right thing. People should have health care. You know, it's like wokeness, I think, has, you know, kind of inundated in us, maybe in a crystallized way. It's weird. I don't want to ever be an old punk in my own way. And in talking to, you know, some older New Yorkers around the neighborhood, if you want to survive in New York and if you want to, like, keep living downtown or anywhere where there's, like, life and it's cool and you're not, you know, you're not, unless you want to move uptown, you have to, like, kind of understand, tolerate, blend in some way with the younger generation that's now somewhat setting the vibe and you can reject it you can embrace it you can be somewhere in the middle but the point is if you want to live here and you want to function in it you got to figure it out god my roommate just texted me a screenshot of a text from our landlord saying that he saw the illegal charcoal grill that i've had on a a lower part of our roof. Damn. That sucks. I'm also kind of shocked I got away with it for that long. I just love steak. Fuck. 
I mean, it is highly illegal, and I'm glad that he told me before finding us. So that's huge. But damn, it's really crazy. Like, there is, I don't know anyone. Do I not know anyone? I know very few people with roof access in Manhattan. I think that's almost just become a thing of the past at this point. Like, you'll see people on roofs, but I think oftentimes it's illegal. I don't, like, just give us fucking roof access. I know people fall off roofs, whatever, but, like, that's really the least you could do. There's no other space. Fuck. Whatever. I have to move my goddamn grill. Um, before I get to the third article, I just want to give a brief recap of, what was it? My Friday night, Saturday night. As I said, I was trying to be chill, trying to recover from the batshit craziness of my last two weeks. So, what came out? Enough champagne to fill the Nile. Thrilled. Can't wait to see it. David and I have been losing our minds about it. David Odyssey, of course. And so we go to the, you know, our whole, our now sacred process, which I feel bad that I've dragged us into, which is going to the Essex Crossing Regal that I now have a membership to. I have unlimited movies. So we can't, you know, be classy New York girls going to the Angelica or any, you know, somewhat respectable, sophisticated theaters that are available, you know, in the city. No, I want to recline and get food from the Megaplex downstairs, which as I'm sure I've said on this podcast, as soon as you see one of those pop up in your neighborhood, it's seen its day already. And so we go to Nomois, which, like, I'm sure I'm a fucking broken record about this, but, like, there is nothing cool about having Veselka outside of actual Veselka. There's nothing cool about Nomois outside of the historic location. Like, because you can get these in a food court, that's not, it's not cool. It's not, like, the product, even. The product is the environment. It's not even the food. So, yeah. And it took fucking forever, as it always does. Are you supposed to be getting, you know, we go there 10 minutes before the movie and expect to get a full three orders of soup dumplings to then sneak into the film. So, you know, maybe that's on us. Maybe that's on us. But we did it. We were a bit late. I was so worried that we'd miss Gal Gadot saying that. No, we didn't. They honestly didn't even get on the boat for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, lot of setup. The army, I guess I just forgot that army hammer was in it. Cause I was surprised when I saw him. And of course, as I did know at some point, I don't know what I thought. I would think I was just so distracted by a French and Saunders B enough champagne to fill the Nile that I forgot that they fully filmed this before the army hammer scenario. And literally like, just agreed everyone will forget about it by February and unfortunately they were kind of right I talked to some people out there like oh did they edit out Arnie Ma-? no he's like the main fucking character 
whatever. It's confusing. Like, are we finding our way out of cancel culture? My friend Abby yesterday, you know, had a rather depressing view of it where it's like, yeah, we are going to find our way out of cancel culture, which isn't necessarily bad. But then it's going to be like, oh, okay, everyone's bad. And we accept it. And then does that allow for more bad behavior? Maybe. I don't know. Point being, Army Hammer was very much in it. I would love to say that this was a fun, bad film, but it was kind of just regular bad. Annette Benning is really the only one giving anything, and I kind of couldn't believe it. Jennifer Saunders has some very fun lines, and seeing the two of them together, a joy. But I don't know. It was very subdued in a way, and... The, you know, the mystery aspect kind of fun. There's, you know, some parts that made me, like, jump a little bit. I was like, oh, okay. Startling. But, yeah, overall, not fun bad. Unfortunately. There's nothing worse than just a regular bad, bad movie. Because even, like, you know, the Ridley Scott, again, even House of Gucci, like, a lot of people thought it was just regular bad. I don't know. I... At least it's tough for with the subject matter for me to not be at least a little bit into it. And I was. Even though they're the flaws are monumental. This was just kind of like I can't unless you have the regal membership. I can't tell you to go spend money on this. I truly can't. Which is a shame. Because I, I love twice money. As I said, I saw this with David Odyssey and our friend Gabby. Couldn't ask for uh, better companions. David and I started our movie journey together. I think this was the first movie we ever saw together. We were just starting to become friends. It was 2018. The night that Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again comes out. We took shrooms. I think I even maybe took... I think this was... Maybe this was the summer I kept taking as it. I don't know. I, what, I was on psychedelics. I'll tell you that much. We see it in IMAX in like second row. Never have I experienced so much joy in my life than Mama Mia, Here We Go Again, and IMAX opening night with my friend David. So when this Vulture article came up last week, it seemed really random timing-wise. I was like, what incited this? Out of nowhere, Vulture is like, oh, let's talk about the most joyous scene to ever grace cinematic history, which is, of course, the end with the entire cast singing Super Trooper. And if you've seen the film, you know it's kind of bouncing in between two timelines. Lily James plays young Meryl Streep, and we're seeing the unfolding of her fucking the three dads, essentially. And then flashing back to Meryl Streep is dead. Amanda Seyfried is trying to open the hotel in Greece. You know, Cher comes in town. Like, what? It's truly, like... You gave us too much, and thank you so thank you for doing that. So at the end, it's a combined character, like the young, the old, they're with each other. It's like people were debating what is the actual end of the film, and I enjoyed that discussion because everyone kind of had different takes on it, and it's essentially a mass interview. Um, they talk about why they had to kill Meryl and fair and 
you know, I never really think about who made these films. It kind of just seems like they were just dropped into the world as gifts from heaven, you know. Um, but th- there were people who made them. Old Parker is a director and screenwriter. I just always, you know, think of Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson executive producing, and that's all I really need. I didn't really think back. And I think that's also because, like, I don't want to think about, like, Benny and Bjorn in any way. Like, to me, I just pretend they don't exist. But it's really... (laughs) The wrangling of Cher is really very fun. She did not sign on right away. She didn't necessarily want to do it. There was talk of Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand, as far as, like, bringing in someone if they couldn't get Cher. But, of course, Cher was number one. And it took a lot of convincing. And it sounds like, until the end, she was very, um, you know, not thrilled. It's the vibe I got from this article. Then they're asking her to do the finale, after she, you know, they signed her up for Fernando and whatever. And she's like, oh, I hate Super Trooper. By the end of it, even she's on board. Everyone's crying. The whole article, I think, sums up perfectly the fucking party that making these films is. Repeatedly, the actors are told, this is not normal. This is one of the most special things that you will ever experience in your career. Do not expect this to happen again. This is magic. This is once in a lifetime. And it sounds like the cast just bonds. The, you know, the young ones, young Christine Baranski. And you know, it's amazing. They talk about going to dinner and you see Amanda Seyfried paddle boating by. They're in Croatia for most of it. Neither here nor there. It's just, it's beautiful. Hilarious to see Skarsgård's take on it. You know, fucking trained Skarsgård. Saying, well, he's not really a character, (laughs) talking about Bill. He's not, what, do I think about his past childhood trauma? What's the difference between movie one and two? He wears a different shirt. You know what I mean? He says, you can't even call them films, really. It's a party. Like, hilarious. Baranski, every quote is incredible. And she has this idea. She's like, oh, I didn't even know if I should share this. But I think the third movie should be a reunion of all of us. And it could be more, like, she's... Pitches a document, like a standard documentary, and is like, can't believe I'm giving this genius idea away in this article. It's just a very fun read, and they talk about the entire end of the film, which encapsulates Dead Merrill for My Love, My Life, where Amanda's holding her new baby. It's incredible. Like, some people say that's where it ends, and then some people say here, there, whatever. Regardless, Super Trooper to me is the true end. And there is no greater joy. They talk about, you know, of course, Colin Firth can't fucking dance to save his life. He won't go there. Whereas Pierce Brosnan is like, humiliate me. Please, I will give it. Like, he wants to sing. Even, like, with all the shit that he got for SOS. Like, they purposely casted actors who could not sing. And I think that's talked about in here, too. Like, obviously, we could have casted singers. But we didn't. And... We're glad we didn't, you know. I cried several times in this article at multiple points for multiple reasons, but the end was fabulous. I mean, right before they're talking about Mamma Mia 3, which I do think will happen, people see the opportunity for money and they will make it. I don't. Um, and there's new music. It's, it's going to happen. But they talk about the end 
of the film and the premiere in London. And obviously, you know, you make something, you love it, but how is everyone going to react? And they're nervously watching the last moments. And then they see everyone dancing in the aisles, confetti's going off, and they just start crying. They're like, we did it. And I love this line where they say, British critics were incredibly nice about the sequel, and American critics pissed all over it. I remember crowd-pleasing was used as an insult, heartwarming as an insult, and it's like, you fucking try. It's not that easy to please a crowd, to warm a heart. I felt there was a sort of grudging, like, we should hate it, but it works. And it's like, just give in to it. We overcame grudging resistance. Oh, all right, then, fuck it. By the end, you got me. Yes. And I love the parallel of Cher following that exact narrative begrudgingly signing on to do one scene, agreeing to do the end, and then all of a sudden wanting to sing more than she's supposed to, then doing a world tour of ABBA songs following, although I did go to that and it was not a lot of ABBA songs, but she did a full ABBA album. It's, you know, it speaks to the cynicism of American audiences and everyone, you know, too scared to be uncool or whatever, and... I'm over it. I'm over it. If there's one hill to die on, it is this. And I I certainly will. Wendy Williams will be canceled in June. Ugh, I've been like loosely following her health issues because I do think that she is the best talk show host that we have had, will have, ever have. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion. I think she's fabulous. Um... I was just watching clips of her, like a montage of her saying Kanye and his special friend. (laughs) No one is calling out major celebrities for being gay. Like she's, she's it. And it seems that her health condition has gotten pretty bad until she posted a video this week from like a new account, kind of letting everyone know she's okay. She's in Florida. She's walking. You know, we saw footage of her in a wheelchair. Things were not looking good. But the show will end in June. So I wonder if she will come back um, for any episodes before then. I'm sure she will. Um, But Sherry's taking over. And I don't hate that at all. I think that that's a really natural progression and vibe for the show. Michelle Visage obviously hosted um, with Leah Remini several times, and that was very fun. I think they were fantastic, and Michelle Visage could obviously man a talk show very easily. Would Rue let her? Hmm. Hmm. Don't know. But um, Sherry Shepard has, you know, if, even if you don't watch the show, if you look at the Instagram clips, very, very natural uh, choice. So that's an end of an era. And if you didn't watch the biopic, I highly suggest that. Uh, My friend Millie and I watched that and then her documentary back to back. It's heart wrenching. It's exciting. She's a fucking badass. Um, And I will really miss her presence. (laughs) Just in culture in general. I hope that um, she maintains her presence, even if it's just social media or whatever. I really hope that she feels better and is able to participate because we truly need her. It's funny that that has been um, a little bit more prevalent for me than the Olympics. Um, 
generally I like the Olympics sometimes happen to me and that's exactly what happened this time. I tried to tune in like I sling, I guess is what I used. I tried to watch it. I literally just kept catching the skiing and shooting one. I think it might be called skiing and shooting, but it's literally like they're on skis. They pull a gun out, they shoot, they put it back in the backpack. That's to me the most Russian thing you could ever do. It's insane. Then I was with um, my straight male friend, Okito. I have one slot for straight male friend. It's rotating. And right now it's my friend, Okito. He's the shit. He is a you know, party boy legend. He's fantastic. So we had gotten some ramen. We turn on the Olympics. What do we see? But the fucking ice skating doping scenario playing out before our eyes. I had heard about it, but honestly was not affecting my daily life. So we see first the flawless performance of the girl who ends up winning gold. Wow. Then we see the doping girl, Camilla or whatever, falls on her ass. Never have I seen anything like that. Crazy. We're watching it. I'm kind of devastated. I was like, what? She gets off the ice. You know, to see them like crying holding teddy bears really just reminds you how young these girls are. She's 15. She's 15. The level of emotionally unstable I was at 15 could not even tell you. It is profound that these girls are in this position. I do agree that it is too young. And if there is any drug... Tara Lipinski said it perfectly. I wish the adults around her had made better decisions. Yeah. I don't think she was, you know, going out being like, yeah, I want to dope. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you'd say anyway. Regardless, so devastating to watch. The girl who wins gold can't celebrate. The girl who won bronze is literally projectile crying. Like, tears are squirting out of her eyes. Then the one who won silver, yelling in Russian, I can't see the same. It was insane. I have never seen anything like it. I, if the Olympics were like this in general, I would be glued to the screen. It was fascinating. It was devastating. I was overwhelmed with the emotion. Like, oh my fucking God. That has to be truly historic, right? Like nothing has happened like that and nothing will. And then someone was trying to explain to me yesterday... And so I'm so oblivious to any of the Olympic stuff. But I guess in Russia, they're like agents of the state or something. So it's like an entirely different, it's a different ballgame than the other countries. I don't know. I, I'm not informed enough to talk about this. I just have to tell you, I abs- we nailed it turning on the TV at that time. Holy shit. <sighs> I was blown away. You know what? I got to go get ready for my fucking show. This has been an insane day. I'm honestly shocked that I managed the energy that I did for this podcast. I feel much better. So thank you for listening to this extended rant that I think has set me up to uh, give a performance tonight. I'm probably going to release this like right around the show or whatever. So I'm comfortable saying this. Brian and I are dressing up. Brian Bahe, famed comedian are dressing up as pregnant Rihanna's um, for our Pisces show tonight at Starfuckers at Union Hall. So I got to figure out that costume. I think I'm going to do, obviously, long puffer, you know, 
buttoned at the top. I think I'll probably do like a bodysuit stuff, you know, a scarf or something in there, low rise pants. I did <laughs> months ago. I think it was around Christmas before all of this like Kanye stuff. I found season six, um, very sexy heels that he made. And it was Pete Kardashian where, you know, Kim's wearing these with sweatpants, going to get gas. They're hot. They're hot shoes, and they were not that expensive. And I believe that Frank just used his money that he had at, like, a Beacon's Closet to get them for me. So I think that's a perfect premiere for these shoes. I haven't worn them yet. It's going to be a fun night. I found a bit of a, a renewed love for stand-up at the moment. We'll see. See if that lasts. But I'm excited about the show tonight. So if you're coming, can't wait to see you. And thank you, as always, for listening. And um, I will talk to you next week, darlings. Love you. Mwah.